you are either going into a storm, coming out of a storm, or right in the middle of a storm. Every one of us shares that in common. That storms are a reality of life. And in our chapter we're going to study together this morning, Acts chapter 27, we're going to see how Paul goes into a storm, how Paul deals with the storm in the middle of it, and actually see Paul come out of the storm, all in one chapter. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, as we continue our study through this wonderful New Testament book, Acts chapter 27. I've thoroughly enjoyed our study of Acts. We have one chapter left after this morning. And a comment I keep making to folks is this, Acts preaches itself. My job is just stay out of the way. And uh, let us see what God says uh, in this powerful, powerful book. Acts chapter 27, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me, in honor of the reading of God's Word, truth with no mixture of error. So grateful for the living Word of God. Acts chapter 27, verse 1, the Bible says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of uh, Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. Then, and there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Anitus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further or farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow... They could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now look in verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Let's pray together 
this morning. Father, this is the day that you have made, and we rejoice and we're glad in it. We're grateful, Lord, for another opportunity to gather as a faith family, Lord, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, and to be in your presence as you speak to us, as you use your word to mold us and make us into who you want us to be. And so, God, we, we pause in these moments to thank you. We pause in these moments to praise you. You are worthy of our worship, worthy of our glory. And we pause in these moments to ask you for your help. Lord, as we study your word, would you accompany the preaching of your word with the power of your spirit, that our eyes might be open, that we might see the truths of Scripture and respond to them and be changed by them. So God, just have your way in our midst as we, Lord, uh, are reminded of your power, your grace, as we are reminded of the, the truths of the gospel Lord, have your way in our midst, all for the glory and the fame and the renown of your name. And we ask and pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We've studied uh, through the book of Acts, and we have seen that the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem wanted Paul dead. And they schemed and plotted to kill him. They brought false charges against him. They had an assassination plot uh, that they were undertaking, but Paul was protected by the Roman soldiers in Jerusalem, and because he was a Roman citizen, he was transported to Caesarea, where he would be protected further from the Jewish threats. And as a Roman citizen, he uh, took advantage of his right to appeal to Caesar. In other words, he says, if, I, if I'm tried by these Jewish religious leaders, it won't be fair. They will have me killed, and so I appeal to Caesar. Send me to Caesar, and that was his right as a Roman citizen. So this meant that he would be transported from Caesarea across the Mediterranean to Rome, Italy, where he would uh, stand before Caesar, who, by the way, his name was Nero, and at this time in human history, he was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. So as he was being transported to Rome, we find here in Acts 27, the ship that Paul and his companions were on was caught in a great storm. Now, if you read the beginning of the chapter, it says they barked, embarked in a ship of uh, Adramatium. Uh, that was a place on the coast in Asia Minor. This is probably a smaller ship that would go kind of from port to port, staying close to the coast. But then they found a larger ship, the, the, uh, the, the leader of the Augustan cohort, this Roman soldier, this centurion, found a larger ship that was carrying grain to Rome. He thought this was a more direct way to get there, so they get on the larger ship. And you see the details of the places that the ship sails. But then in verse 13, they are uh, caught in the middle of a storm. And notice the storm came down from the land. Uh, it's very dangerous when you, when you don't see a storm coming, and all of a sudden there's a storm between you and the land. If you see it coming from the water, you can get, go in towards the shore. Uh, you know, I'm from Florida, and we live uh, in a county that has coastal uh, land, and every summer... Uh, scallops are, uh, are, are brought into that bay area. They, they wash into that bay area. And you can go out uh, in your boat and you can snorkel in, you know, five to six, seven feet of water. And you can get scallops off of the bottom and take them in and clean them and have fresh scallops for dinner. There's nothing like it. It's a lot of fun. And there are boats from all over the place. And uh, one year when I was in college, my parents went out scalloping. And they were out there doing their thing, getting scallops. It was about time to go in. And they noticed some storm clouds on the land. And all of a sudden, that storm moved towards them, got between them and the land. 
and they found themselves in a blinding storm. They were having to bail water out of the boat. Dad had to use his compass to find out where the land was, and they almost died. Uh, on, on that day. Very dangerous when a storm comes out from the land. And so that's what's happening here. The storm comes down from the land, and it's a, they call it Northeaster. It's a typhoon-like storm with sustained hurricane-like winds that they are encountering here. This is a very serious storm that goes on for days, and we just read they had lost all hope. I think F.F. F. Bruce sums this up very well when he says, "...the storm raged for many days on end, blotting out the sky." So that they had neither sun by day nor stars by night to guide them. It was thus impossible to fix an accurate course or even to reckon the passage of time with any precision. The ship was no doubt leaking badly and they could not tell which way to make for the nearest land in order to run their ship ashore, the only resource for a sinking ship. But unless they did make the land, they must founder at sea. Hunger and thirst were fast reducing their stamina. They had but little appetite in this desperate plight, quite apart from the difficulty of preparing food and the possibility that what food they had was spoiled or uh, lost. Sooner rather than later, it seemed, the ship was bound to go down with all on board. That's how desperate this situation was. Now remember, this is the first century. There's no Coast Guard looking for them. There's no one coming to their rescue. They are at the mercy of the storm, and they feel like they are about to perish. And so we see Paul and other prisoners here on this ship and Roman soldiers and his traveling companions. Luke says we in this chapter. So Luke was with him who wrote the book of Acts, his missionary partner. We see these folks on a ship headed to Rome in the midst of a great storm, in a moment of crisis. So I think there are some things that we can learn from this chapter about crisis, about how we encounter crisis, what, what we can learn from this chapter that we can apply to the moments when we are in crisis. Because again, remember, you're either in the middle of a storm, you're coming out of the storm, or you're entering the storm, right? You're in one of those three areas. Storms, uh, crises, those are realities of life. And so, let me give you three truths about moments of crisis. Three truths about moments of crisis. And I I hope this will be practical. It will help you this morning uh, because we all need to learn these realities. Number one truth, a crisis can arise for different reasons. A crisis can arise for different reasons. For example, let me show you all the factors uh, that combine together for this crisis. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons there in crisis in this chapter. For example, bad timing can cause crisis. Bad timing can cause crisis. Verse 9, it says... Since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. The fast speaks of the Day of Atonement. This was the way they marked uh, certain segments of the year. Uh, And this is in the fall of the year. And really weeks before the Day of Atonement, the Mediterranean gets tricky when it comes to travel. When it comes to the Day of Atonement and after that, it gets very, very dangerous. And seasoned, uh, 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 seasoned sailors know that you just don't try to cross the Mediterranean during this time of year. It is very, very dangerous. That's why Paul said, as a seasoned traveler, I don't think we should go right now. Here's my insight. I've I've done the Mediterranean before. This is not a good time of the year to travel. Hey, by the way, in 2 Corinthians, Paul said he had been shipwrecked three times. That was before this. And so Paul knew about shipwrecks. He knew about danger on the sea. He knew what it was all about. He said, we shouldn't go right now, but the Roman soldier who's in a hurry, the centurion in charge, says, let's go ahead and go, and and surely we can make it a little bit farther, finding a winter port closer to Rome. And so it's bad timing. 
It's, it's the wrong time of the year, and Paul, listen to this, finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And sometimes crisis can occur in your life and my life because we find ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? I mean, it's just the realities of life. It's the circumstances of life. Sometimes you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And because of that, you encounter hardship. So bad timing can cause crisis. Again, this wasn't by Paul's choosing. Hey, listen to me. Sometimes moments of crisis can occur and it's not your choosing, right? It's not your choosing. This was another person's decision. So bad timing can cause crisis. And that leads to the next thing. Unwise decisions can cause crisis. Paul says, I don't think we should go. We just read it. And they make the decision, the captain and the Roman centurion. Julius says, let, let, I think we should go ahead and go and try to make it a little bit further, a better port, so we can be closer to Rome after the winter is over. And this was an unwise decision. They shouldn't have tried to go any further during this time of the year, and they paid dearly for that decision. So again, making an unwise decision can cause a crisis in your life and my life. The third thing is the elements of nature can cause a crisis. The elements of nature can cause a crisis. Uh, verse 13, it says, The south wind was blowing gently, but in verse 14, things changed quickly. A tempestuous wind called a northeaster typhoon-like strength descends from the land onto this sailing vessel, and they are quickly in trouble. And the elements of nature, because we live in a sin-cursed world, can cause trouble. The reason that we deal with hurricanes and earthquakes, like the folks in Italy are dealing with right now, and floods like we saw in Louisiana earlier in the year. The reason we deal with those sorts of things is because we live in a world that has fallen, a world cursed by sin. And that's why we have natural disasters. So many times, crisis can occur because we find ourselves in the middle of natural disaster. The elements uh, taking their toll on our lives. So the elements of nature can cause a crisis. So here's what we learn from this. Just this one moment in Paul's life, there are many different factors in this one storm, right? This one moment of crisis, there's many factors. And and that's true of all of our lives. There are many different reasons that we face a crisis, but we will all, we need to learn, encounter difficulty. Whatever the reason, and there are different reasons in different people's lives, Sometimes we make unwise decisions and cause our own moments of hardship. Sometimes we're at the mercy of others. Sometimes we're at the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes we're in the middle of of hardship because of natural disaster. Whatever the case, we find ourselves, uh, we will all find ourselves encountering difficulty in this life. So what do we learn from that? You and I, listen to me, we need to be prepared to face crisis situations in life. As Christians, you and I, We need to, we should be prepared to face crisis situations in life. Because, listen to me, we live in an uncertain world. Can I get an amen on that? A very uncertain, unstable world. I read a story from Fox News earlier in this year in September, right after Labor Day. And the title of the article was this. Woman hit... Knocked to ground by catfish that fell from the sky. Now I thought, well, I've got to read that. (laughs) And so I read this very short article, and on Labor Day, a woman was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, walking by the Philadelphia Museum of Art, 
and a five-pound catfish fell from the sky, hit her in the face, and knocked her to the ground. Left her with a scratch on her face. Now, how in the world does that happen? Well, the best theories are that maybe a large bird had, had grabbed a catfish from the water and was flying with it over Philadelphia, and this, this bird lost the, its grip, and all of a sudden this woman's walking along, five-pound catfish in the face, in the middle of a city, right? I mean, life is uncertain. It is. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. And sometimes life can take a turn in a moment, for, in a turn towards difficulty and, and a crisis and hardship. So we need to be prepared to face crisis situations in life. Which leads to the second truth, and this is so important. And this is really, really where I want to focus your attention this morning. A crisis reveals character. A crisis reveals character. Crisis doesn't form character. Crisis reveals character. Character. Look what happens in verse 21 of this chapter. Again, this is, this is right after uh, it said they, they had lost all hope of being saved. All hope was abandoned. And in verse 21, it says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them, not the captain, not the Roman centurion, but Paul, the preacher. He stands up and said, Men... You should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. In other words, Paul has the I told you so moment. And I don't blame you. You all want to do that. You know, when you're right, you want to say, hey, I told you so. And he has an I told you so moment. Then he says, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And so Paul stands up and with authority speaks to this group and he's encouraging them to stay together. He's encouraging them to be strong, encouraging them to take courage. He is taking the lead in this crisis. I like what Joseph Parker writes. Paul began as a prisoner. He ended as the captain. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he's a prisoner on the ship. And the next thing you know, he's standing up and we'll see in the rest of the chapter, he's calling the shots. Warren Wiersbe writes, Paul took over the situation when it was obvious that nobody else knew what to do. A crisis does not make a person. A crisis shows what a person is made of. Let me read that again. I don't think you were listening. A crisis does not make a person. A crisis shows what a person is made of. And it brings, or it tends to bring, true leadership to the fore. What a great quote. And so in this moment of difficulty, of despondency, of despair, Paul stands up. And Paul takes control. And Paul begins to lead. Crisis reveals character. And isn't it interesting how everyone let Paul lead in this moment? They had no answers. So they wanted to hear from someone that maybe had some answers. And can I just encourage you with this? We are surrounded by people in our society, and they don't have any answer for all the chaos that's going on out there. And they are looking for some folks that have some answers. And so, what are people looking for? When they find themselves in difficulty. Well, let me just give you some thoughts from this text. In a crisis, others are drawn to people that know God. In a crisis, others are drawn to people that know God. Look what happens in verse 21. Um, Paul stands up. You should listen to me. Verse 22. Take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Why does he say that? Verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong 
in whom I worship. So Paul stands up and says, listen, be encouraged. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. I've heard from God. I have a relationship with God, the one I worship, the one I serve. And these people all of a sudden are listening. This man knows God. And he goes on to say, do not be afraid. Paul, this is what the Lord said to an angel to Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we must run aground on some island. So we're going to run aground. The ship's going to, 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 to you know, be grounded. We're going, to, we're going to wreck. We're going to encounter a shipwreck. But God has revealed we will all make it through. And everyone has ears to hear, right? They don't want to hear from the captain. The captain had no answers. Julius, this, this Roman soldier, very sharp uh, gentleman, uh, n- no doubt, he had no answers. But Paul stands up and says, listen, I know God. And people have ears to hear. Now, I want you to hear me carefully. People in your family may mock your faith. People in your workplace may scoff at your Christianity. People in your school may laugh at your devotion to Christ. But I want you to hear me. When the wheels fall off, those same folks that scoffed and laughed and sneered are going to want to find somebody that has some answers and they're going to want to find somebody that knows God. That person that sneers at you at work, one day they may come knocking on your door to tell you how their life is falling apart, to see if you can help them. Many of you told me about situations in your workplace where people have come to you because they know you're a believer. And they lay their life before you in their crisis and their trials because they need somebody to help them. Someone that has answers. Someone that is grounded in their life. And Paul is grounded. He's a man of God. Hey, I've heard from the God I serve, the God I worship. Do not be afraid. People are drawn to people that know God. In a crisis, others are drawn to people of prayer. People of prayer. Look what happens in verse 24. This is fascinating. This angel sent by God to give Paul a message says, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sell with you. What's that mean? God's going to give you what you ask for. So Paul, listen to this, has been praying for the life of his, the lives of his fellow pastors. Lord, we're in a mess. We're in a storm. There, there's, there's really no hope. Would you save our lives? Would you save my life? Would you save the lives of my fellow passengers? He's praying for them. And the angel says, God's going to give you what you asked for. He's going to give you their life. So Paul is praying fervently for those in the midst of the storm. And by that statement, they all know, hey, Paul is a man of prayer. And then fast forward down to verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. So Paul knew it's about to come to a head, that, that they're about to be shipwrecked and have to get to the shore. So he says, listen, we haven't eaten. You need to eat a little something to give you some strength for what's coming. And when he had said these things, I love this, middle of a storm, he took bread, 
giving thanks to God, a man of prayer, in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Isn't that interesting? In the middle of a storm, Paul takes time to thank God for his food. Now, little, little quick detour. If Paul can thank God for his food in the middle of a storm, how much more should you and I be able to pause before we eat a meal in a restaurant or at our dining room table or at our school and say, Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for your provision in my life. Thank you for the relationship I have with you through Jesus Christ. Listen to me. A Christian should be able to bless their food and say thank you for it. Amen? And by the way, that's a very consistent way to demonstrate to a watching world that you are a person of faith. You just take a few moments, not ostentatious, not trying to make a scene, but you take a moment because you're a person of faith, you love Jesus, you're grateful for his provision, and you bow your head and you say, thank you for your food. Paul is praying here in the middle of a storm. And all these folks on the ship know that Paul is a man of prayer. And when people's lives around you are falling apart, guess who they're going to want to pray for them? The person that they know prays. Right? I mean, listen, they're not going to that liberal college professor they had in school that, that really uh, scoffed at Christianity and said that prayer is a waste of time. They're not going to that person with their knees. They're going to the person they know that prays, that knows the Lord. And if people know you're a person of prayer, guess what? They're going to come to you asking you to pray, which is a, a wonderful open door of opportunity for you to point them to Christ. And so in a moment of crisis, others are drawn to people that know God, people of prayer. Third, people of godly wisdom. Paul again knows, starting in verse 33, that they're about to be shipwrecked and they need to get to shore. And so in a very wise way, he says, hey, everybody eat a little bit of food. Get a little bit of strength so we can make it to the shore. Paul had godly wisdom. And if you exemplify in your day-to-day living... Just good, sound, godly wisdom. Let me call it maybe sanctified common sense. If you live that kind of life, people are going to come to you with needs because they want somebody with, with wisdom to speak into their life. They're, they're drawn to people with wisdom. What should I do? Here's my life. Here's how it's falling apart. What, sh- what should I do? Which, again, is a, an amazing opportunity for you to talk about your faith, right? And so in moments of crisis, others are drawn to people of godly wisdom. Again, I like what Warren Wiersbe says, Storms can give us opportunities to serve others and bear witness to Jesus Christ. Paul was the most valuable man On that ship, he knew how to pray. He had faith in God. He was in touch with the Almighty. There are times when one dedicated believer can change the whole atmosphere of a situation simply by trusting God and making that faith visible. And so, when people's lives are falling apart, they're going to want to talk to somebody whose life is not. Now, I'm not saying that Christians don't go through tough times. I'm just saying when we go through tough times, we have an anchor in the storm. Amen? We have peace and joy in the midst of the hardship because we know God. And we can can go to Him in prayer through Jesus Christ. And so when others are encountering a crisis, guess who they're going to want to talk to? This is evangelism. 
This is you living in such a way that conversations begin because you are the real deal. And people want answers. And so a crisis reveals character. Listen to me. When a crisis hits our nation, when a crisis happens at your school or on the job, are you living in such a way that people are going to stop and listen to you? Good question, isn't it? And so, crisis reveals that character. Paul began as a prisoner, he ended as the captain. But let me give you a third thing very quickly. A third thing about a crisis. First of all, a crisis can arise for different reasons. A crisis reveals character, but third and last, a crisis can't stop God. A crisis can't stop God. Back in verse 23, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. He said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. You must stand before Caesar. And so God reiterates his promise. Because two years earlier, God had promised Paul in Corinth, or I'm sorry, in Caesarea, that he would stand before Caesar. And so God's just reiterating his promise. And here's what we learn from that. God always comes through on his promises. When you are in the middle of a difficult situation, there are promises of God found in the pages of the Word of God that we can cling to, that we can hold on to, that we can rest in. We can know that God always comes through. Promises like, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise of Scripture, amen? Promises like, God is building your character through that hardship. James chapter 1. Promises like, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give it to you. I mean, there's some promises of Scripture that we can rest in, that we can go to, that we can that hold on to because God always comes through on his promises. R. Kent Hughes writes, two years earlier, Christ had appeared in Paul's cell in Caesarea and told him to take courage for he would bear witness for the Savior in Rome. This was an unconditional promise. Paul would go to Rome, no doubt about it. However, God, listen to this, did not promise smooth sailing along the way. As we serve Christ, there will be storms, hardships, high seas, breakdowns, but also peace, assurance, fruitfulness, the sustaining presence of God. And so when you find yourself in a moment of crisis, realize that that crisis can't stop God. Just keep trusting Him as you go through that time. He is in control. He's calling the shots. He is right there with you in the middle of it. Trust His promises. Amen? Which leads to this next thing, which is so important. God is a God of providence, and His purposes will be accomplished. God is a God of providence, and His purposes will be accomplished. A crisis can't stop God. Look what happens in verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The uh, uh, The bow stuck and remained immovable, and 
the stern was take, being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. Now, you know, uh, Roman soldiers, if they uh, lost a prisoner, they were killed. So you're thinking, I'm not going to die for these guys. I'm just going to kill them lest any should get away. But look what happens next. But the centurion, Julius, had gotten to know Paul. As a matter of fact, when they were going up the coast of the Mediterranean, uh, Paul, uh, Julius had let Paul go meet with some Christians. Uh, he, he, he thought fondly of Paul. The centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. Look what it says next. And so it was that all were brought safely to the land. Chapter 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through. They made it. I mean, they had abandoned all hope. And now, based upon God's promise, they make it through. God is providentially working his plan, listen to me, to get Paul to Caesar. That's what, that's what God's doing. Even in the middle of a storm, God is still working his plan. That's what providence is. Let me give you this definition of providence uh, from J.I. Packer. The providence of God is the unceasing activity of the Creator, whereby in overflowing bounty and goodwill, it all comes from His goodwill, He upholds His creatures in ordered existence, guides and governs all events, circumstances, and free acts of angels and men, and directs everything to its appointed goal for His own glory. Now, three words I want you to focus in in that definition. You ready? Upholds, guides, governs. Underline those three words. Upholds, guides, governs. That's providence. That's what God is doing in your life right now. Whether you're going into a storm, or you're in the middle of a storm, or coming out of a storm, God is on his throne, and he is upholding everything, he is guiding everything, he is governing everything to his appointed end for your ultimate good and his ultimate glory. That's what God's doing. Romans 8, 28 says that God works everything together, the good, the bad. He works everything together for the good of those that love him, to those called according to his purpose. So you and I can know that when we find ourselves in the middle of trials and difficulties and hardship and hopelessness and desperation, that God is somehow, even if you can't see it, God is somehow in some way at work in that, weaving it all together for your good. And that's the hope that a child of God has. And so God's a God of providence. Now listen to me. We use the word providence wrong sometimes, or, or, or in an incomplete way. For example, you might hear somebody say, well, in the providence of God, uh, I met my spouse uh, in college and we got married. Okay, good. Providence equals good, right? You never hear someone say, well, in the providence of God, I broke my leg last week. Right? We never say that. But guess what? If you broke your leg last week, God's still in control. He's sovereign. He, and, and he's somehow going to work that together for good and for his glory. That's what God does. In other words, hardship, crisis, difficulty cannot stop God from fulfilling his purposes. So we have hope and we have peace and we even have joy in the middle of the storm. Just like Paul did. And so a crisis can't stop God. There are examples of this in the Bible one of the most well-known examples is the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, second half of the book of Genesis. Joseph was um, sold into slavery by his brothers who were jealous of his relationship with his, their father. He went to Egypt. 
and things went from bad to worse. He had some moments of success there. He was leading a, a very important man's household and overseeing all of that. But then he was falsely accused of a crime. He was thrown into uh, jail. Uh, he thought that he had made a good connection with other prisoners. And he said, when you get out, remember me. I helped you uh, learn about what your dreams meant. And they got out of jail. They forgot about him. And Joseph is in jail. And he, and he thinks, God has abandoned me. I mean, he had lost everything. He's sitting in an Egyptian jail with no hope to ever get out. But hey, one day, a little bit farther down the line, one of the guys in prison remembers there's this guy who interprets dreams, and Pharaoh needed a dream interpreted. So they come and get Joseph. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh's impressed, makes him the second most powerful man in Egypt. So he can plan for the, the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. And Joseph oversees that. And Egypt is the place to come when the surrounding areas run out of food. And guess what? His brothers, who sold him into slavery, they ran out of food. They came to Egypt to get some food, and they ended up coming to Egypt, and Joseph took care of them and his father and preserved the nation of Israel through that. In other words, God used slavery, false accusation, imprisonment to achieve his purposes. What others meant for evil God used for good. A crisis can't stop God. And the most well-known example of, of Scripture in human history is this. On that cross, men were doing their worst. They were, they were crucifying the Son of God. They nailed Jesus Christ to the cross, his, hand and, and his hands and his feet. They were, they were killing Jesus Christ, the Savior of humanity. They were doing their worst. And God used the darkest moment in human history to bring about our soul's greatest good. He used the cross to bring about salvation, redemption for you and for me. Crisis can't stop God. God used the cross for his glory, for our salvation. God is powerful. God is on his throne. And man can do his worst. Nature can do its worst. Difficulty comes, but God cannot be stopped. Amen? And so a crisis can't stop God. Here's the the point I want you to walk away with, and we'll be through. About Acts chapter 27. By the way, I'll be in the pastor reception uh, room after this. You can come by and congratulate me on getting a whole chapter done in one sermon. (laughs) But here's what I want you to walk away with. Crisis is an opportunity to trust God and point others to Christ. That's how I want us as believers in Christ to think. When hardship comes... I want you to think, I want, me, I, want, I want to think this way. God, what are you doing here? I believe you're on your throne. I, I know you're providentially working everything together for good. Maybe, Lord, you want to use me in the middle of the storm to point desperate people to hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's how you want to use my life. Wouldn't it be awesome? That when the wheels fall off of other people around you, they come knocking on your door. And you don't have all the answers, but Jesus does. And you have the privilege and joy of pointing them to Jesus. 